to episode 153 of the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. I'm Jim. This is my show, Odd Number. I have two books that I'm going to be talking about in this episode, both of which feature some origin stories, some flashbacks, and one seems to be a little more important than the other. But before we jump into those, let me tell you, you can find us over on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. You can also go to our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com, where we review the books if they come out. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Also, you can go to our YouTube channel that is Weird Science Comics. And we also have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash weird science, where if you join up, we have a ton of shows for each level that you would choose to go up, including one of the things that we do is the Marvel Comics Spotlight that each week me and Brandon have two books of the books that come out that are picked in a poll by the bad butts of the Fresh Start crew. Whoop, whoop. And this past week, they ended up picking some pretty good ones, some pretty big ones. We did Falcon and Winter Soldier number two and Wolverine number two. So if you want to hear me and Brandon talk about those two books, you can go over to the Patreon and sign up if that's your thing. Now, I said what we would talk about the books coming out. Uh, there's rumors that Marvel is going to release the books digitally. Uh, quite like DC already said they will. I have not really gotten any sort of confirmation that that is true or false. We're still waiting to see if, in fact, we don't get the books coming out. What we're going to end up doing, me and Brandon, are catching up on stuff that we missed out on. I had a poll that I put up on Twitter asking people to Tell me which books that we hadn't been covering, say the X-Men books or Immortal Hulk or Valkyrie, Jane Foster, stuff like that. And I had a a whole list of a poll and, and I'll even put the poll link in the show notes. It's still going. It's actually a poll that's on our Patreon page, but it's open to everybody because I just want to see what exactly people are interested in us getting back into catching up to now. The X-Men aren't on that poll because I'm planning on doing that anyway. Now, here's the little bit of a a twist, if you will. If there are books coming out, my show, this odd number show, I'm still going to use it to catch up. I think that I still want to catch up. And even if books do come out digitally, some people don't want to read them yet. Some people don't like digital. Some people think that that's screwing over the comic book stores and they're going to make a stand against that so i i don't want both of the shows to be about the new ones yes me and brandon will be talking two or three or four of the new books each monday but 
on the catch-up show, I will have this this uh, odd number show will be the catch-up show. So even if you aren't getting any new books, it's all going to be the older stuff. And like I said, I'm definitely going to be doing the X-Men books and then probably throwing in a couple things like the Immortal Hulk. Like I said, Valkyrie ended up being something that a lot of people wanted to hear. And again, the votes can change because I'm going to put the show notes. I will put the address to the poll. If I remember, I, I tend to forget and I have not been able to get my Adderall now that we are quarantined. And my doctor, it's not necessarily the medicine. My doctor in town has deemed that a non-medical thing. And so I can't even get in there. And, and even that, I have to go there because I'm at one of those. And if anybody takes Adderall or any sort of medicine like that, you end up occasionally every four months, six months, you got to go into the office and they ask you weird questions that are nonsense. And then they will give you the next bunch, but you can only get it a month at a time. And I'm at a point where I need to go to the doctor to be able to get this you know, medicine uh, refilled and they don't have any time for me to go in. They, they claim that it's not a medical emergency. I'll tell you, my, my family thinks it is. I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, my. But, yeah. So uh, what was I talking about? See, this is the problem when I don't have the medicine. I'm all over the place. I'm looking at all my sound effects and things like that. So you are actually going to hear me talk. And you'll, you'll get theater of the mind of somebody who can't keep their thoughts straight for more than two seconds, which will actually lead me into the first book. Uh, because this Spider-Man, an amazing Spider-Man run by Nick Spencer, it, it tends to have a little bit of an attention deficit disorder. And, and if you are one who is reading it or dropped it or whatever, you know what I mean. It's because of the fact that you have all these stories going on and they kind of come at you willy-nilly. You end up where you find out about the hordes of vermin a year or so ago in the hunted story, they go away and then come back in a weird story that involves boomerang and the life tablet. So there's like, it's just a weird deal. And that's coming out of a thing with Jay Jonah as a podcaster. And, and the thing with this issue here, because this issue, and I will tell you at the end of last issue, when I did have it on the podcast and I said, Oh, and now there's a big monster that's attacking Spider-Man and boomerang. It is God. The, the monster god i didn't know that i'm not even going to pretend and you know hindsight's 2020 20. i'm not even going to pretend i knew because i didn't i am new to spider-man uh so i'm sure that some people were listening like a monster that's god what are you an idiot well yeah i am that, that thank you thank you very much i'm trying to think but nothing happens so it is god and, and when you go into this issue uh if you're like me Gog, and it's funny because Spider-Man starts out going, Gog, and that's what I was saying, Gog. Uh, and you do get a origin story, something that actually changes uh, Gog's story a bit from what they had in the Spider-Verse stuff. But even so, you end up getting a full issue of Gog. Now, the thing is, there are some feels to be had in this issue, uh, but... Are they going to grab you because of the fact that these things just fly at you? And and where I was thinking, I, I tried to think of what I could say bothers me about these stories and bothers me about this amazing Spider-Man run. And where I will tell you is I think it's not the pacing within issues. It's not the dialogue. It's not the art. What it is is the pacing of the entire series. And the only way that I could figure it out to explain it myself is the idea of an album that comes out from a band. You know, a band 
a, it puts out an album and there is a a pacing to the songs where they fall like y- you never want to start a album and i'm more going like rock sort of thing you don't want to start with an instrumental track you, you don't want to start the album with and you don't rarely want to start with a ballad you you want to come and hit you want to kickstart my heart you know boom you come in and, and you grab people and then you do have that progression and this is something where if you were old like me and you had ever made a mixtape or a mix cd that is something that if you do take stuff seriously like that which i do you're not going to end up making a mixtape either with you know five ballads in a row then two rockers then seven instruments you, you need a pacing you need a, a a way that things flow and i think that's my problem with this spider-man run if you can follow what i was saying up until this point the idea of it's almost like you end up with two rockers then you get seven ballads then three instrumentals then back to one rocker then back to four and they don't flow well and so when you get momentum it gets taken away and when you get a feels type issue it comes at the wrong time It, it, it comes and this like i said this gog issue here it does have some feels, but the feels are with Gog, and the feels are in a spot where you're not really set up for feels. You've come out, as I just said, from a Jay Jonah podcasting deal where you go into this and you have a jokey deal boomerang, then you get the feel. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work well in the overall pacing, and I'm probably going way too long with this, so I'm going to read you the credits and the uh, blur. But I hope that that kind of gives people a sense of how I feel about the book. And, and with that, say it is an album, I'm going right back. If it is an album, the idea that the individual songs, they all could be awesome, but there is something to the pacing and there is something to the way that they set up something that I think is lost once we ended up getting you know, MP3s and and that sort of thing and buying individual stuff, you do tend to get lost from that. But people still end up making playlists and, you know, all sorts of things like that. And I think that that's where you get the pacing. I don't know what I'm saying. Amazing Spider-Man number 42. That is written by Nick Spencer, art by Ryan Otley, inks by Cliff Rathburn, and colors by Nathan Fairbairn, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. The Lifeline Tablet, engraved with a formula for a serum that grants health, youth, and godlike powers. It's too powerful for human use. At the last time a villain tried to use it to achieve divinity, Dr. Strange banished it to another dimension, but somehow it's returned to New York City in pieces. Public records keeper learned the location of the fragments and asked Boomer to protect them by finding them before Mayor Wilson Fisk. With so much on the lifeline, Spider-Man agreed to help Boomerang. They were making excellent progress until, well, until they ran into Gog. And so you have a humongous Gog. And the funny thing is, is when Gog's on Earth, he does end up getting very, very big. Now, I told you at the beginning, I don't know anything about Gog. I do now. I I did my research, read a bunch of things with him. So I I tend to try to at least catch up on things like that but yeah at one point god seemed to be thirty thousand feet tall just craziness that's what led what we see even here for uh reed richards to send him back uh and use pin particles to get him down but he's back he's looking crazy that's what spider-man says something is wrong here i don't understand 
I like Boomerang. I said it last issue. I love Boomerang, actually. And he cracks me up. And again, he does here because Spider-Man's like, oh, my God, Gog, I can't believe it. Can you believe it, Boomerang? He's like, I, I cannot believe that thing there that you just called Gog. And it's the joke. He has no idea who Gog is. He tries to pretend he is. He even says, hey. I'm the all-time record holder champion of the Spider-Man trivia. Spider-Man's throwing shade. And Spider-Man throws a lot of shade at him this issue. Uh, but he's like, no, no, no. Th- this is Gog. You don't even know. He's my personal monster. He always ends up, if any bad guy wants something big and strong and ugly to attack me, they'll end up getting Gog. So I've dealt with Gog a lot. But this Gog feels off. And Spidey even says here, like, Gog isn't bad he he's just kind of loyal he always seems like he wants a friend he he and spider-man says i feel sorry for him a lot of times uh because of this and then gog's trying to kill him and you have boomerang yeah i feel sorry for him he's gonna have two heroes conscious you know killing on the his conscious uh this and uh you end up spidey's like well one and a quarter hero i mean you're not really a hero but even so he goes through a little quick checklist of Gog being, you know, the last time I saw him, he, Doc Ock, made him part of the Sinister Six, which Boomerang doesn't like to hear because he's like, how could this thing be on the Sinister Six in front of me? But they ended up where, like I said, Reed Richards had Pym Particle shrunk him down to send him back to his home dimension, kind of. And uh, yeah, he's come back and he looks bad. Well, now we just go and through Gog, we're told his origin and it's like i said you do end up getting some info but it's more of the feels and and that's my biggest problem here is the info that you get by the end makes sense and fits into the story and could be important but the other stuff up into them just kind of i don't know it it ends up feeling like nick spencer is just trying to pretty much you know get a softball pitch home run here by making you care about Gog and maybe get upset because of his history and see why he's so upset. Um, but all in all, the, the main important thing you learn at the very end, and it's very easy to have told that in a quick panel or two, but it's not bad. And I love the art, but you do get this background of Gog where he was pretty much given as a gift to a prince and you even have it though and what's weird too and i wonder if it's going to come into play because gog ends up having a a, another like a brother that's given to the prince's sister the princess uh who unfortunately dies uh during this issue but you don't know what happened to that one and it's the tesilm i guess is how you pronounce what the race of gog is gog actually the name doesn't even come about until later given to him by Craven. Um, but this Hasley Prince, it's his best friend. This is like my buddy, who, uh, you know, a toy back in the day that the commercial drove me nuts. If people have listened to a lot of the things that we've done, they would know this. Oh, my, it is. It's pretty much the, you know, alien my buddy. So I don't like it. But y- you have, you know, through thick or thin, you have the Haslam Prince and Gog, And Gog is very content. Gog's doing crazy things. Gog is eating crazy foods and playing games. Doesn't like baths, playing fetch. While this is going on, the princess's Gog, not too pleased, but we don't really get him. Um, Yeah, so all this is going well. Everything's going pretty well uh, for the prince and Gog until 
the planet that they're on. They're in the middle of a civil war. They end up getting attacked, and there's some big trouble. They have to get off planet. Gog, at first, you don't even think he's going to be able to go, but he doesn't get to go with the prince. He gets put in the cargo ship that then gets shot down and Crash lands on Earth. So the Haslam prince and Gog are separated, and what ends up happening is this cargo ship and Gog end up crashing into the Savage Land where it, he is picked up by Craven. it seems. I think that that's what they're going with, and I think that's kind of how it plays out when I was reading the other stuff. But yeah, they end up in the Savage Land, and there's a story. They don't go fully into it here, but a story where uh, Gog ends up kidnapping Gwen Stacy, which leads him to be the enemy of Spider-Man. They trick him. He ends up going into some uh, quicksand after Craven was hurt, uh, and then was found by the plunderer. But even so, you see through this that the Haslam Prince, they have relocated and they're looking for Gog. Uh, they miss Gog. It's funny, too, again, like I said, a little bit of a snafu because Gog seems to have been the name that was given to him by Craven, but yet the sign from the prince says Gog, too. But uh, yeah, you see that the king and the princess have died. You see them being buried. But the prince is sad. He misses his Gog. You see that Gog was found by the plunderer, Kazar's brother, uh, and taken away. And eventually, like Spider-Man said, joining the Sinister Six. And when you're getting all this, this is through the simple talk of Gog. Find man, make Gog fight. Gog just went home. Gog no hope. Stuff like that. So this is where Spidey is kind of saying at points, you know, he didn't seem bad. He just seemed to want to fit in, do some things that he's told to do, but really just kind of seems sad. Well, you end up having Reed have to step in because Gog was getting so out of control and so huge, and he uses the pin particles, shrinks them, and says, I'm going to send you back to your home world, more like sending him back to the Haslin home world, where he does end up running into the young prince still. Now, here's the other little side note. Reed says, I'm going to send you on a ship that actually will have a return mode if you run into trouble. It must be what happens because he ends up in the middle of this war again, the Civil War deal, it seems. And Gog finds the prince and he's all excited. Actually, just goes to town on the other side. He's eating guys. He's you know biting their necks and ripping their heads off. And this is where the prince realizes, wait a minute, that that's my Gog. And as God goes running to him, the prince gets blown to bits and he's dead. So it's almost like, you know, the classic movies where you're just about to reunite and then one of the the two uh, end up dying. Kind of like that City of Angels nonsense with Meg Ryan and Nick Cage. Uh, I'm telling you, I just why did he choose to be human? I was so upset. Why? Why? But yeah, he ain't God then just kind of curls up in the fetal position next to the dead prince and falls asleep crying. And then everything kind of runs its course. The war seems to be over at least that battle. And then you get the queen coming up with the life tablet that she has, seeing that her son is dead. She spazzes out and smashes the tablet into pieces and then says to Gog, oh my God, you're that Tessilinin, that Jim will never be able to pronounce. It's you. You're the you're Gog. We'll just use Gog as an easy way. But you came back. Oh, my God. This must be you coming back, maybe from the dead, to escort my son to the promised land. I get it. Well, 
Instead of that, I guess, what you should do is these pieces of this life tablet, like it was awful. This life tablet caused all this because I wanted power and I wanted all this and that. So what I want you to do is take these pieces of the shattered tablet, take them back to Earth and scatter them everywhere you can find, but keep one so that you can protect that and then nobody will be able to ever assemble all of them. Now, it would have been a lot better for her to say, how about we keep all of these on this planet and you take the one piece to Earth? That might have been a better way, but this is how the tablet ended up being in pieces and scattered on Earth and why that last one is with Gog as you have Boomerang and Spider-Man trying to get it. And that's how it ends. And it ends with the the queen saying, and it must not fall in the wrong hands. And then you just have Gog there, huge Gog. It looks like he's grown about 80 feet since the first page saying Gog protect. So you got that. I I do think that this is where Spidey's going to be able to reason with Gog, maybe figure out something, talk to him and, and be nice to him. Gog just wants to fit in. And it's it's done well in that way. It's done well in the way where when you ended up last issue where Fisk ended up hearing, oh, wait, that's how it came back. And that's what it is uh, where Fisk is all happy because in my mind, he thinks, well, Gog, Gog hates Spider-Man. Gog's always on a bad team and Gog can be just controlled and just be told what to do. And I think that Spider-Man will win the day by actually treating Gog you know, like an equal and and talking to him and trying to figure out some things. And that might be the way uh, that we go. And then maybe the life tablet can be assembled and the prince can be brought back from the dead. Who knows? Maybe then God could be happy. Uh, The art in this is really good. It's just like I said, the idea of this story here, if this was one of the first, say, issue four and or better yet, because we did start out this thing with the uh, vermin, the horde, Maybe if this was right after the hunted story, the Craven story, and then we got right into it, but kind of waiting all this time. And then all of a sudden with the little dribs and drabs of why is Kingpin mad at Boomerang and then getting to this. I don't know. It just feels like the pacing of the whole series is off. And again, there's parts of this that you're like, this is kind of filler. And it seems like trying too hard. It's a try hard issue to try to make you have feelings for Gog and everything like that. Even so, I'm still going to give it a 7 out of 10. If if you really are getting irritated by the fact that we're not getting kindred or not getting anything hard-hitting, then you could go as low as a 5 in my mind. But it's it's that's about the lowest I, I would go. But I'm kind of in here now. I was mad before about the kindred and not anything. I'm just here for the stories now. And this is okay. And I better go down to a six. I think a seven might be too high. Six out of ten. I'm going to go with. And I, uh, yeah, if you like it, that that's great too. I think the art's great. But yeah, the story kind of is a nothing story to try to get you the feels for Gog. And I don't know if that, you know, the amount of space that we're taking is going to actually pay off as much as it should. Okay, and the second book that I'm going to be doing is a another book that has some origins, some flashbacks. It's more like a clip show uh, than anything. It is Road to Empire, the Cree Scroll War, and it's written by Robbie Thompson and art by Matea de Luis, Javier Rodriguez, and Avara Lopez, letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. And the Matea de Luis stuff is the present day stuff. 
and Javier Rodriguez and Navarro Lopez are flashback sequence artists. And I like when you end up having flashbacks and you change the artists for those. So it does look different. You know, it's flashbacks uh, with this issue. I love the complete art. A lot of times when you have multiple artists, you'll be like, hey, I like that guy or I like that girl. I like all three of these fellas. And with that, they do have different styles, but I like each one. And I think that it's well done. I think that it's well done where the art is with the present day as opposed to the flashbacks, all that stuff. And I'm going to read you the recap and then we'll get back to the idea of a clip show. The Warners are a seemingly average family who reside in Stamford, Connecticut. But while they live as humans, they are actually scrolls, alien beings whose bodies contain unstable molecules that enable them to take any shape at will. As operatives for the scroll empire, they use their abilities to hide in plain sight and prepare the way for the inevitable annexation of Earth. And this is all the Warners. That, that's from the Meet the Scrolls book that Robbie Thompson did that I hear was really good. When it came out, I thought, eh, that's going to be just like that vision. You know, I don't need that. Uh, but I'm going to go read it because it does intrigue me. You do get a catch up with it. And I said, this is a clip show issue. I, and that's not disparaging in any way. I love clip shows. And why I love clip shows are the way that the show will be able to work around how they're going to show the clips. You know, rarely are you going to have a clip show where, you have except the Simpsons, Troy McClure might come out and announce them. But usually it's something has happened and you have this wraparound bookend story type deal where, you know, old Johnny is in a coma from that skateboarding accident he just had. And then I come in and I say, oh, man, Johnny hurt himself skateboarding. Well, he always did get in a lot of trouble and he's a klutz. And then we'd have, you know, such classic clips as johnny running through a plate glass window and almost dying you know or johnny tripping when we were all running down on on that rooftop and he fell and almost died there johnny almost dies all the time johnny's not a, a guy who you should hang around with bad luck johnny we call him but i always like that remember that time when johnny thought that i was going to kill him and he bought that machete and came after me oh man that was crazy and then you show the clip uh, so I, I love that. I actually really get a kick out of that. And, uh, you know, back in the day when you didn't have things on demand and stuff, sometimes you'd have to watch the clip show so you can see some of these clips for the second time ever or the first. So I always like them. And what this is, is the Warners. Uh, you get a little background of the family, including that their father, husband, Carl, ended up getting killed. The daughter, Ivy, ended up being captured, used to uh, produce the Project Blossom, uh, which is something that's supposed to expose the scrolls. And what you're going to do, and this is through the eyes of the scrolls, what you're going to get, but you get such things as, hey, do you remember when the scrolls were peaceful? No way. We were never peaceful. Oh, yeah. And then you get a clip. But I'm not going to go through each clip. But what this does, it gives you a background of the scrolls. Then it gives you the background of the awful and complicated relationship between the scrolls and the Cree. And then what also happens in this, you get some major players that are spelled out, major players that probably will come to play in the whole empire story and then at the very very end you do actually see what would be the start of 
Empire and all with the Kree and the Skrull teaming up and coming to Earth. Uh, but it's told through the Warners, these scrolls. And as they go, you get a little bit of a behind the scenes look at Ivy, who was captured and tortured and should be angry and should hate everyone and should want to take it to the streets against the Cree, everyone else. But no, she actually wants this all to end. She wants everybody to get along. She wants to go back to what she learned that the scroll were peaceful. So in my mind, Ivy hears the scroll were peaceful in her mind that clicks of then the scroll can still be peaceful. And the, the big thing would be convincing those dirty Cree to actually be nice. Now at points you did end up having an alliance between the Cree and the scroll. As you go through this, you find that out. Uh, the alliance was a ruse. It ended up being a ruse from Earth's Mightiest Heroes and the Watcher. They ended up pretty much setting up the Cree and the Scroll. And the idea that when the ruse was said, haha, this wasn't real, so nothing counts. You didn't have an alliance. And Ivy even says at that point, like, it doesn't matter if it was fake or not real. Because the Kree and the Scroll thought it was, and they could get along. And and through this all, too, by the end, you get the idea that the only thing that could bring the Kree and the Scroll together, or the easiest way to show that they can get together, would be to have a common enemy. And the common enemy ends up being them stinking earthlings that are always sticking their head nose into everything. So, But as you go through this issue, like I said, you're learning a lot of Cree scroll history. You're learning about how a lot of times when these things did get to be involved, the again, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, a lot of times the Avengers, because of back in the day, the Cree and the scroll and Captain Marvel and all went through the Avengers books a lot of times, if not just in the Captain Marvel book itself. Um, but yeah, it's showing that the, you know, earthlings, they can't keep away. They they keep, you know, sticking their nose into things and, and having problems. Well, you also, as I said, it's a clip show. So you end up with the Warners going into the lab, checking out things because they want to figure out there's a mystery of, you know, who is trying to kill us. Somebody's still trying to kill us. They also have, you know, this whole project going. So they're trying to bring that down. At this point, seemingly being the last of the alive scroll that were on Earth hiding in plain sight. So they have things like they'll pick up a leaf and it's like, oh, this is like the Kotati. This is a Kotati leaf. That's weird. They shouldn't be in. Oh, no, don't you remember? And then, boom, we go back and learn about the Kotati a little more and learn about how they were spread around the universe and how Mantis and the ghost of swordsman ended up going in and merging with the katati so they could have koya the son that goes off and helps clean up after thanos's nonsense i mean that's how these things are moving in this but again you're learning some major players and the big thing is at some point uh near the end somebody just comes and tries to kill the warner family they are in a motel the motel gets blown up you end up having the person leaving it's done i'll be home soon going off we see ivy save them all and still at this point ivy still doesn't want to go on the attack she wants to just have why can't we just get along and she's very sad 
about it as they go to kill these Kree that they now have a bead on they're able to follow. Uh, and yeah, you end up having them go and the mother says, I am going into this house where these Kree are when they get there and I am going to kill the crap out of them. I mean, one of the big things that they found out on the way is that they think that Hulkling has completely gone over to the Cree side and has pretty much signaled to the Cree, hey, and if the actual thing is attention Cree, this is Hulkling. It's just a little snippet that they've been able to find uh, from a transmission. And now we're going to be like, what? Hulkling? But he's part scroll and part Cree. What? Hey, I'll tell you about it. And you go to two pages about the whole deal with Hulkling and how he was born from Captain Marvel and the Cree Princess Anel. And so you you have that. So that's pretty cool too. Uh and yeah, you are the scroll princess Anel, I'm sorry. Uh and then you go forward there. Um and find out, well, when he got to Earth, they kind of pretended that he was a mutant so he wouldn't get involved with that Kree scroll nonsense. It's a, it's a clever way to kind of tie out everything up and give you the brief history of these characters. And, yeah, and then he joined the Young Avengers, and you have that. So you see, okay, and he fell in love, and he went, but nobody knew. Was he going to go with the Krees or the Scrolls eventually? So hearing this transmission, they're like, yep, he went Kree. Oh, that stinks. Well, let's go kill people. Let's go kill Cree. And they go off, figure out where they are. And then in the last bit of flashback, again, it does show you that at one point the Cree and the Skrull did have an alliance. Uh, unfortunately, it was all a dupe. Uh, but like Ivy says, it doesn't matter if it was a dupe. They still were peaceful with each other. They still had an alliance. We still can do this. Uh, the mom's like, no, 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 I'm going in. The person who killed your father's in this in this house. I'm going in and I'm going to just kill people. She does go. She busts in. She just kicks down the door. Uh, and and quite frankly, if you want to have a little fun, look, it, it actually looks like she kicks in the door and does one of those classic naked gun deals where she puts her foot and the foot goes through the door, but the door doesn't break down. Now she's got to kind of pull her foot out and get back in. But she goes in with gun. Uh, not a blazing, but gun drawn. And you see the Cree family. And I think that it's definitely where, you know, they're using this deal. And Matea De Luis and Robbie Thompson are using a deal where mom goes in and pretty much sees the Cree version of them. This is meet the Crees here in this. They're just having dinner. They look sad. They're, she's going to shoot them. She stops. There's a really weird like progression where you do have Bobby like, please, mom. And then she kind of looks down and doesn't do anything. And then you have the, the Cree, thank you. And then pulls out their like inner galactic phone. And there is a message attention to all the Cree and scroll surge soldiers in the field, which these two families are. You ended up where you did have the thing where Ivy kept asking, I think it was Ivy to her mom, why do you keep reporting? Nobody's answering. We can't get a hold of anybody. And she's like, well, you have to keep doing your duty. And here you do see that, you know, the Kree and the scroll do combine here to, you know, send a message to everybody in the field and says, everybody, you know, back off. Scroll and Kree are together now. Both armadas are their collective armies are heading to face and destroy a common enemy we're heading to earth so you see that that's where the kree and the scroll are coming to combine and attack everyone on earth so you're gonna have you know lifelong 
eons long enemies joining up to fight the humans. So we'll see. And it says to be continued in the thrilling pages of Empire. I thought this was well done. It, it got me excited. It got me thinking because I think that my main problem was I didn't know a ton about the Kree and the scroll. I did read the original Kree Scroll War. I did a podcast on it on the Patreon, just as a little commercial. But in the meantime, to me, the Kree, eh, I see Scroll. I think a Super Scroll, eh, you know, they're just these generic enemies. You know, they're always thrown in there. Eh, I don't really care. This makes it more personal. This gives me a look at the actual Scroll very much. And I love Ivy. I think she's a really good character in this. But it shows you the the personal deal it actually gives you more of a face to these characters and it gets you more of okay this isn't just generic kree scroll attack the avengers come out and they fight and whatever you get the idea oh my i may actually be rooting for the kree and the scroll and that's a good twist that's a good way to go into it where now i am interested the art's great because of all that i'm giving it a nine out of ten and i think that uh again it's not a must read for everyone, some people know all this. Uh, I think that it would still do good to kind of get in in a condensed form, get you up to speed, remind you of some things, but show you the major players. Like I said, if you don't know any of this and you're planning on reading Empire, I would say this is a must read then. If you are somebody who's like, eh, I don't really care about Empire, whatever, you may want to check this out and see if this kind of goes. And again, it's weird to say that because a lot of times issues like this, ah, this is a bunch of hooey. It's all just old scenes from old comics or whatever. Um, it's almost like, if if you will, if you'll allow me this, it's almost like you could call it the Empire Grand Design. It's almost like that Ed Pisker, and I'm not going to talk about that Fantastic Four nonsense. I like the Ed Pisker X-Men one. Uh, and all the issues that he did with that X-Men stuff. That's what it reminds me of. Or more recent, the history of the Marvel Universe. I didn't read that Mark Wade thing. I know people enjoyed it, but it, I'm just going to go with that, Pesker. It reminds me of. So we have Empire Grand Design here. It catches you up, gets you on board. You have some really cool art to look at it. So yeah, 9 out of 10 is what I'm giving it. And tell me if you check it out or whatnot, because I think you might enjoy it. And that's it. That's the podcast. Starting to not feel very well. So I think I'm going to go take some Alka Seltzer cold. I'm going to edit this podcast and I have to do the regular Monday show with Brandon as well. These will probably be coming out as if they're a double header. Uh, but yeah, everybody stay safe, all that stuff. Uh, check us out all over the place. All of the links will be in the show notes. Uh, thanks for listening and I'll talk to you later. <laughs>